This is section 64 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 64, The Sacramento Daily Union, September 1866, part 3. The Sacramento Daily Union, September 26, 1866. Honolulu, September 10, 1866. The High Chief of Sugardom. I have visited Haleakala, Kilauea, Wailuku Valley, the Petrified Cataracts, the Pathway of the Great Hog God. In a word, I have visited all the principal wonders of the island, and now I come to speak of one which, in its importance to America, surpasses them all. A land which produces six, eight, ten, twelve, yea, even thirteen thousand pounds of sugar to the acre on unmanured soil. There are precious few acres of unmanured ground in Louisiana, none at all, perhaps, which will yield two thousand five hundred pounds of sugar. There is not an unmanured acre under cultivation in the Sandwich Islands which yields less. This country is the king of the sugar world, as far as astonishing productiveness is concerned. Heretofore, the Mauritius has held this high place. Commodore Perry, in his report on the Mauritius, says, Before the introduction of guano into Mauritius, the product of sugar on that island was from 2,000 to 2,500 pounds to the acre. But the increase since the application of this fertilizer has been so extraordinary as to be scarcely credible. In ordinary seasons the product has been from 6,000 to 7,000 pounds, and under peculiarly favorable circumstances it has even reached 8,000 pounds to the acre. It was scarcely credible. Guano has not been used in the Sandwich Islands at all, yet the sugar crop of Maui averages over 6,000 pounds straight through all the time for every acre cultivated. Last year the average was 7,000 pounds per acre on the Ulupalakua plantation. This year the plant crop on the Wailuku plantation averages 8,000. Portions of Waikapu, Wailuku, Waihi, Ulupalakua, and many other plantations have yielded over 11,000 pounds to the acre, and 20 acres on the fourth named average the enormous yield of 13,000 pounds per acre one season. These things are scarcely credible, but they are true, nevertheless. By late patent office reports, it appears that the average sugar yield per acre throughout the world ranges from 500 to 1,000 pounds. The average in the Sandwich Islands, lumping good, bad, and indifferent, is 5,000 pounds per acre. PROGRESS OF THE ISLAND'S PRODUCTION The cultivation of sugar in the islands dates back 14 years. Its cultivation as an actual business dates back only four years. This year the aggregate yield is 27 million pounds. The cultivation of sugar in Louisiana dates back 115 years. Its cultivation as an actual business dates back just 100 years. When it had been a business 40 years, there were a hundred plantations in Louisiana. Ten years later there were 150 on the Mississippi and the aggregate yield was only ten million pounds. A few years later it reached twenty-five million. Compare that with the twenty-seven million yield of twenty-nine small plantations in the Sandwich Islands. The sugar history of the islands may be compressed into a very small table. 
aggregate yield of pounds for eighteen fifty two seven hundred and thirty thousand eighteen fifty six five hundred and fifty four thousand eight hundred and five eighteen fifty seven seven hundred thousand five hundred and fifty six eighteen fifty eight one million two hundred and four thousand sixty one eighteen fifty nine one million eight hundred and twenty six thousand six hundred and twenty eighteen sixty one million four hundred and forty four thousand two hundred and seventy one eighteen sixty one two million five hundred and sixty seven thousand four hundred and ninety eight eighteen sixty two three million five thousand six hundred and three eighteen sixty three five million two hundred and ninety two thousand one hundred and twenty one eighteen sixty four ten million four hundred and fourteen thousand four hundred and forty one eighteen sixty five fifteen million three hundred and eighteen thousand ninety seven eighteen sixty six twenty seven million fifty thousand the exports of molasses during the entire year of eighteen sixty five amounted to half a million gallons only a little more than was exported during the first six months of the present year the following table gives the yield in pounds of the twenty-nine principal plantations for the present year island of hawaii harto a hundred and fifty thousand kohala two million onamea one million two hundred thousand metcalfs one million two hundred thousand kauiki one million six hundred thousand hunsing six hundred thousand paukau six hundred thousand island of maui maki one million eight hundred thousand haua six hundred thousand waikapu one million wailuku two million four hundred thousand bailey and son four hundred thousand lures two million hobron one million two hundred thousand haiku eight hundred thousand east maui eight hundred thousand sea and turton one million La Haina Sugar Company, one million two hundred thousand. Ball and Adams, seven hundred thousand. Island of Kauai. Princeville, two million. Lihue, seven hundred thousand. Koloa, seven hundred thousand. Waipoa, three hundred thousand. Island of Oahu. Kauahai, two hundred thousand. Wilder, six hundred thousand. Kahalia, four hundred thousand. Story and Company, two hundred thousand. Halawa, four hundred thousand. Wailua, three hundred thousand. Total, twenty-seven million fifty thousand. When all the cane lands in the islands are under full cultivation, they will produce over two hundred and fifty million pounds of sugar annually. Comparative. In Louisiana, sugar planters paid from twenty dollars to two hundred dollars an acre for land, five hundred dollars to one thousand dollars apiece for negroes, fifty thousand dollars to one hundred thousand dollars for stock mills etc raised one thousand to one thousand five hundred pounds of sugar to the acre sold it for five and six cents and got rich in the islands wild sugar land is worth from one dollar to twenty dollars an acre mills and stock cost about the same as in louisiana the hire of each laborer is a hundred dollars a year just about what it used to cost to board and clothe and doctor a negro but there is no original outlay of five hundred dollars to one thousand dollars for the purchase of the laborer or fifty dollars to one hundred dollars annual interest to be paid on the sum so laid out the price of sugar is double what it was in louisiana 
and the actual net profit to the planter, notwithstanding high freights and high duties, is also double. In Louisiana, it cost not less than $180,000 to purchase and stock with negroes, mill, animals, etc., a plantation of 300 acres, and its crop would yield $30,000, allowing each acre to produce 2,000 pounds to the acre, which it wouldn't do. Deduct $60,000 outlay for the negroes, and half the cost of the land, $10,000, and the same plantation in the islands would cost $110,000 and be ready for business. Its crop would yield 6,000 pounds to the acre, and sell for $180,000 in San Francisco. If the planters of Louisiana have done well, surely those of the islands ought. When the production of a staple steadily increases, and capital sticks to it, and shows confidence in it, it is fair to presume that investments in it are considered secure and profitable. In 1839, 40, and 41, the yield in Louisiana ranged along in the neighborhood of 100 million pounds annually, price four, five, and six cents a pound. In 1852, 53, 54, her yearly yield fluctuated between 350 million and 500 million pounds, market price three and a half to five cents. Thus, 1,000 to 1,500 pounds to the acre, at three and a half to six cents, was so encouraging as to more than quadruple Louisiana's sugar production in less than thirty years. Six or eight thousand pounds to the acre, at ten to fifteen cents a pound, has encouraged the extravagant advance in the islands from three million pounds to twenty-seven million annual yield in four years. Against this argument in favor of the security and productiveness of capital invested there, no logic can prevail. More figures. They have a bad system in the Sandwich Islands, whereby the planter has to ship twice and pay broker's commissions as often. This must change some day. The sugar pays a duty of three cents a pound when it enters San Francisco, and of course this comes out of the planter's pocket also. This year the lures, or Waihi, Wailuku, Ulupalakua, Princeville, and Kohala plantations will each pay the United States about $60,000 in coin for duties alone, and for Waikapu, Onomea, Metcalfs, and several other plantations whose names I could mention, will each pay about half as much. The following bill of expenses will show the processes by which the planters' profits are diminished. The estimate was made in the island of Maui in June when sugar had been falling and had got down to $210 to $220 a ton in San Francisco. On a ton of sugar, barreling, $16. Drayage from mill, $1. Shipping to Honolulu, $3. Brokerage in Honolulu, $2.50. Freight to San Francisco, $6. United States duty, $60. Drayage in San Francisco, $1.00 brokerage in San Francisco, $11. Total, $100.50. Gross sale, $210. Remainder, $109.50. And out of that $109.50 must come about 60% for plantation expenses and interest on the original outlay for land, mill, stock, etc. The following estimate was made when sugar was worth a cent a pound more. It shows the business done the present year with 300 acres 
on a plantation which cost considerably under ninety thousand dollars for its stock mill lands and everything complete the land was purchased unimproved at an insignificant price the present year's crop was one thousand tons of sugar gross yield two hundred and forty thousand dollars plantation expenses sixty thousand dollars freight duties etc etc a hundred and twenty thousand dollars interest on original outlay ten thousand dollars total disbursement one hundred and ninety thousand dollars net profit fifty thousand dollars there is more than one plantation in the islands which is worth with all its appurtenances two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and will produce a two hundred and sixty thousand dollar crop next year perhaps this and yield a profit of seventy thousand after deducting all expenses of cultivating shipping and disposal in san francisco and interest one of the best plantations in the islands though not one of the largest by any means cost with its appurtenances one hundred thousand dollars all bills were promptly paid and no debts allowed to accrue and breed interest the consequence was that three years after the first plough disturbed its virgin soil it had paid for itself and added a dividend of twenty thousand dollars advantages in louisiana they take off one plant and two crops usually before replanting and so they do in the islands as a general thing though some think the ratoons would run several years longer without disadvantage the sugar crop in louisiana is never sure in the islands when favorably situated for irrigation it never fails in the former it must be immediately cut upon the first suspicion of a frost whether it is mature or not in the latter there is no frost and the planter may cut it when it suits his convenience it will stand several months after ripening without deteriorating not much of the cane of the species that tassel is cultivated but even tassel cane can remain in the field four months after maturing without deteriorating in louisiana the cane must always be cut before the frost comes but in the islands it may be cut whenever it is ripe any day in the year consequently the mills can take their time and grind comfortably along in all seasons whereby the putting on of large extra forces and the employment of mills of immense capacity on small plantations to rush off a threatened crop and grind it is avoided louisiana has only five or six weeks to get off her crop in and so the juice is generally green and the sugar necessarily inferior to that of the islands the fuel chiefly used to make steam is the dry crushed cane which has passed through the mill it is called trash it is mixed with hard wood and the two combined make a very hot fire on the low ground of west maui plant cane matures in from eighteen to twenty months and ratoons ripen in from fifteen to eighteen months at ulupalakua whose lowest cane lands are two thousand feet and its highest three thousand five hundred feet above sea level plant cane requires all the way from twenty-two months to three years to ripen according to elevation one may see there plant cane that is just sprouting cane that is half grown cane that is full grown and first second and third ratoons all on the same plantation at all seasons of the year there is cane ready for the mill and labor in no department of sugar cultivation and manufacture need ever stop a thousand acres are in cane and from two hundred to three hundred of it are taken off yearly yielding from eight hundred to one thousand tons of sugar 
this plantation being high up in the neighborhood of the clouds depends upon the frequent rains for irrigation but forty thousand barrels of water are kept in cisterns for mill purposes use of stock etc to be ready for emergencies the west maui plantations are all liberally irrigated from unfailing mountain streams in the hot neighborhood of lahaina cane matures in nine or ten months and a year is the average for the islands of hawaii oahu and kauai specimen of a hawaiian mill the sugar works of the lures plantation formerly known as the waihee plantation are considered the model in the islands in the matter of cost extent completeness and efficiency they make as fine an appearance as any between baton rouge and new orleans and are doubtless as perfect in their appliances the main building is some two hundred feet long and about forty wide perhaps more and proportionally high its walls are of stone masonry and very thick it has a stately chimney that might answer for a shot tower being painted snow-white the mill building and the tall chimney stand out in strong contrast with the surrounding bright green cane fields a long elevated flume in front and a laboring overshot wheel of large diameter at one side abroad peopled with coolies spreading trash to dry half a dozen kanakas feeding cane to the whirling cylinders of the mill and a noisy procession of their countrymen driving cartloads of the material to their vicinity and dumping it these things give the place a business-like aspect which is novel in the slumbering sandwich islands the neighboring offices of the proprietor the dwelling of the superintendent the store blacksmith shop quarters for white employees native huts and a row of frame quarters for chinese coolies make waihee a village of very respectable pretensions the employees of the mill and plantation with their families number three hundred and fifty persons perhaps within the commodious mill building i have described are four long rows of iron vats coolers about twenty-five in a row occupying almost the whole of the great floor and with railways between the rows which are traversed by cars which convey the cooked sugar in a liquid state to the vats to be cooled each vat is about six feet long three and a half or four feet wide and about two feet deep and is able to contain an amount of sweetness equivalent to thirteen young women in unpoetical figures one thousand four hundred pounds in the center is a small machine called a grinder an exceedingly useful contrivance and the only one i have seen in the islands when the sugar in the coolers becomes grained and hardened it has many hard lumps in it which it is difficult to reduce in the centrifugals and this service the grinder performs it is simply two swiftly revolving iron cylinders placed close together and after the grained sugar has passed between them lumps before are lumps no longer close to the grinder are six centrifugals small metallic tubs whose sides are pierced with a few thousand pinholes to the square inch the nasty-looking grained sugar it is about half black molasses and looks like an inferior quality of mud is dumped in to the amount of a bushel the tub is set to spinning around at the rate of ten or twelve hundred revolutions a minute the mud begins to retreat from the center and cling to the sides and in about three minutes the bottom is as clean as a dinner plate the sides are packed with a coating two or three inches thick of beautiful light straw-colored sugar ready for the table 
and all the disagreeable molasses has been expressed through the innumerable pinholes by the frightful velocity of the machine. At the upper end of the apartment are several five-hundred-gallon steam clarifiers, which receive the raw juice from the mill, which is a large machine on the same principle as the grinder, between whose cylinders the canes are squeezed dry of their juice, and cleanse it of its impurities. Then it passes through pipes to the train, a row of great iron kettles, where it is well boiled and kept in constant motion. The Weitzel pan receives the cane juice next, and completes the evaporation of the water from it. A revolving wheel paddles it into ceaseless motion here. This pan is heated by steam. The persecuted juice goes hence to the vacuum pan, a very costly contrivance which is little used in the islands. It is a huge iron globe capable of containing several hundred gallons. The virtues claimed for it are that it will boil the juice at half the temperature required by the ordinary open concentrator, and that consequently the sugar will cool and grain quicker, that the sugar can even be grained in the pan, if necessary, and transferred at once to the centrifugals, instead of lingering in the coolers for four to seven days, as is the case in other mills, and lastly, that it will make almost first-quality sugar out of first molasses. The vacuum pan boils at a temperature of 140 to 160 degrees, the common open concentrator at 230 to 260. The juice is soon cooked and ready for the coolers, where it remains the best part of a day. Then it passes through the grinder and from thence through the centrifugals. The perfected sugar is discharged through chutes into bins in the basement, and the expressed molasses sent back to be wrought into sugar or barreled for market. A cooper shop on the premises prepares the kegs to receive the sugar, and an ingenious affair alongside the bins packs the article in them. It is a large auger set in a framework and worked by a screw. Its blades resemble those of a propeller, and after being lowered into the empty barrel, it works upward as the sugar is shoveled in, packing it smoothly as it comes. Three kanakas are required to tend it, and it does the work of six or seven. It packs four hundred kegs in a day, a man's full day's work, by the customary pounding process with a maul, is sixty. This is the only machine for packing I have heard of in the islands. I have seen the cane cut in the fields, hauled to the works, squeezed through the mill, transferred to the clarifiers, thence to the train, thence to the Weitzel pan, thence to the vacuum pan, thence to the coolers, thence to the grinder, thence to the centrifugals, thence as sugar to the bins below, thence to the packer, thence to the artist who branded the quality and weight and the plantation's name upon the kegs, and thence to the schooner riding at anchor a mile and a half away. I have frequently seen this whole process gone through within two days, and yet I do not consider myself competent to make sugar. Steam is used for half the machinery, and water-power for the other half. The proprietor has just completed, at a cost of less than $7,000, a broad and deep ditch, four miles long, which carries an abundant stream of clear water along the base of the rear hills and full length of his plantation. It can be used to irrigate not only the 530 acres now in cane, but will add 210 more that were never susceptible of cultivation before which addition is equivalent to adding a hundred and twenty thousand dollars to the gross yield of the concern. That much, at any rate. 
the land produces the ordinary average, three tons to the acre. I have described the lures mill as well as I could, and the same description will answer in the main for the Wailuku, Waikapu, Ulupalakaua, and all the other mills I have visited. No two mills are just alike, and yet no two are sufficiently unlike to render it worth while for a man to describe both. The plantations I have named are all situated on the island of Maui. Perhaps a few acres of plant cane on either of them have fallen short of three tons this year, or any year, and choice pieces of ground on the Ulupalakua, Waikapu, and Wailuku have yielded double that amount per acre. This plant cane averages about equally clear through, say, three to three and a half tons per acre, except in the case of the Wailuku, which reached an average of four tons this year. One twenty-acre lot on this plantation produced ten thousand pounds of sugar to the acre, and one eleven-acre lot eleven thousand pounds per acre. I take the figures from the official account books of the superintendent. The mill was turning out two hundred thousand pounds of excellent sugar a month when I was there. Molasses. I have said nothing about molasses. They work some of it over and reduce it to sugar, and each planter ships a few thousand dollars worth of it, and, as at Ulupalakua, feeds the third quality to his hogs, if he has any. Formerly inferior molasses was always thrown away, but here, lately, an enlightened spirit of progress has moved the government to allow the erection of three distilleries, I am told, and hereafter it will be made into whiskey. That remark will be shuddered at in some quarters, but I don't care. Ever since I have been a missionary to these islands, I have been snubbed and kept down by the other missionaries, and so I will just bring our calling into disrepute occasionally by that sort of dreadful remarks. It makes me feel better. Monopoly A San Francisco refinery company once contracted for all the sugar crop of the islands for a year to be taken directly from the coolers by its agent and paid for at the rate of about seven or seven and a half cents a pound, I think it was. This saved the planters a great deal of trouble and some expense, but they lost confidence and broke up the arrangement. It would have been a profitable thing for all parties if it could have been continued, and I think the planters would like to give some responsible man the sole control of the sugar market of the Pacific coast on similar terms. Labor the principal labor used on the plantations is that of Kanaka men and women, six dollars to eight dollars a month, and find them, or eight to ten dollars, and let them find themselves. The contract with the laborer is in writing, and the law rigidly compels compliance with it. If the man shirks a day's work and absents himself, he has to work two days for it when his time is out. If he gets unmanageable and disobedient, he is condemned to work on the reef for a season, at twenty-five cents a day. If he is in debt to the planter for such purchases as clothing and provisions, however, when his time expires, the obligation is cancelled, the planter has no recourse at law. The sugar product is rapidly augmenting every year, and day by day the Kanaka race is passing away. Cheap labor had to be procured by some means or other, and so the government sends to China for coolies, and farms them out to the planters at five dollars a month each for five years, the planter to feed them and furnish them with clothing. The Hawaiian agent fell into the hands of Chinese sharpers, who showed him some superb coolie samples, 
and then loaded his ships with the scurviest lot of pirates that ever went unhung. Some of them were cripples, some were lunatics, some afflicted with incurable diseases, and nearly all were intractable, full of fight, and animated by the spirit of the very devil. However, the planters managed to tone them down, and now they like them very well. Their former trade of cutting throats on the China Seas has made them uncommonly handy at cutting cane. They are steady, industrious workers when properly watched. If the Hawaiian agent had been possessed of a reasonable amount of business tact, he could have got experienced rice and sugar cultivators, peaceable, obedient men and women, for the same salaries that must be paid to these villains, and done them a real service by giving them good homes and kind treatment in place of the wretchedness and brutality they experience in their native land. Some of the women are being educated as house-servants, and I observe that they do not put on airs, and sass their masters and mistresses, and give daily notice to quit, and try to boss the whole concern, as the tribe do in California. Coolies for California you will have coolie labor in California some day. It is already forcing its superior claims upon the attention of your great mining, manufacturing, and public improvement corporations. You will not always go on paying $80 and $100 a month for labor, which you can hire for $5. The sooner California adopts coolie labor, the better it will be for her. It cheapens no labor of men's hands, save the hardest and most exhausting drudgery drudgery which neither intelligence nor education are required to fit a man for, drudgery which all white men abhor and are glad to escape from. You may take note of the fact that to adopt coolie labor could work small hardship to the men who now do the drudgery, for every shipload of coolies received there and put to work would so create labor, would permit men to open so many mines they cannot afford to work now, and begin so many improvements they dare not think of at present, that all the best class of the working population who might be emancipated from the pick and shovel by that shipload would find easier and more profitable employment in superintending and overseeing the coolies. It would be more profitable, as you will readily admit, to the great mining companies of California and Nevada to pay three hundred Chinamen, an aggregate of $1,500 a month, or five times the amount, if you think it more just, than to pay three hundred white men thirty thousand dollars a month, especially when the white men would desert in a body every time a new mining region was discovered, but the Chinamen would have to stay until their contracts were worked out. People are always hatching fine schemes for inducing eastern capital to the Pacific coast. Yonder in China are the capitalists you want, and under your own soil is a bank that will not dishonor their checks. The mine purchased for a song by Eastern Capital would pour its stream of wealth past your door and empty it in New York. You would be little the richer for that. There are hundreds of men in California who are sitting on their quartz leads, watching them year after year, and hoping for the day when they will pay, and growing gray all the time, hoping for a cheapening of labor that will enable them to work the mine or warrant another man in buying it, who would soon be capitalists if coolie labor were adopted. The Mission Woolen Mill Company take California wool and weave from it fabrics of all descriptions, which they challenge all America to surpass, and sell at prices which defy all foreign competition. The secret is in their cheap Chinese labor, 
With white labor substituted, the mills would have to stop. The Pacific Railroad Company employ a few thousand Chinamen at about $30 a month, and have white men to oversee them. They pronounce it the cheapest, the best, and the most quiet, peaceable, and faithful labor they have tried. Some of the heaviest mining corporations in the state have it in contemplation to employ Chinese labor. Give this labor to California for a few years, and she would have fifty mines opened where she has one now a dozen factories in operation where there is one now, a thousand tons of farm produce raised where there are a hundred now, leagues of railroad where she has miles today, and a population commensurate with her high and advancing prosperity. With the Pacific Railroad creeping slowly but surely towards her over mountain and desert, and preparing to link her with the east, and with the china mail steamers about to throw open to her the vast trade of our opulent coastline stretching from the amur river to the equator what state in the union has so splendid a future before her as california not one perhaps she should awake and be ready to join her home prosperity to these tides of commerce that are so soon to sweep toward her from the east and the west to America it has been vouchsafed to materialize the vision and realize the dream of centuries of the enthusiasts of the old world. We have found the true Northwest Passage. We have found the true and only direct route to the bursting coffers of Ormus and of Ind, to the enchanted land whose mere drippings, in the ages that are gone, enriched and aggrandized ancient Venice first, then Portugal, Holland, and in our time England and each in succession they longed and sought for the fountainhead of this vast oriental wealth, and sought in vain. The path was hidden to them, but we have found it over the waves of the Pacific, and American enterprise will penetrate to the heart and center of its hoarded treasures, its imperial affluence. The gateway of this path is the Golden Gate of San Francisco. Its depot, its distributing house, is California her customers are the nations of the earth her transportation wagons will be the freight cars of the pacific railroad and they will take up these indian treasures at san francisco and flash them across the continent and the vessels of the pacific mail steamship company will deliver them in europe fifteen days sooner than europe could convey them thither by any route of her own she could devise california has got the world where it must pay tribute to her she is about to be appointed to preside over almost the exclusive trade of 450 million people, the almost exclusive trade of the most opulent land on earth. It is the land where the fabled Aladdin's lamp lies buried, and she is the new Aladdin who shall seize it from its obscurity and summon the genie and command him to crown her with power and greatness and bring to her feet the hoarded treasures of the earth. I may have wandered away from my original subject a little, but it is no matter. I keep thinking about the new subject, and I must have wandered into it eventually anyhow. Mark Twain End of section 64